listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It is my privilege to welcome all of you to this house, those of you gathering us online, gathering with us online, I should say. Uh, we're glad to have you wherever you are, and we forgive you for still being in your pajamas. Uh, when we get past COVID and you come back to church, uh, you're going to have to stop wearing pajamas. But until then, you just make it work. You just make it work. We miss you. We love you. We are having a heightened concern uh, because of the number of people who are still sick. Um, and so, as you know, our, our local city has passed this mandate for churches to be masked environments. And uh, we're just rolling with it. We are not the police. We don't force anybody. But neither do we want to fight with anybody over it. So we just try to follow what's going on with that. In the meantime, uh, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. I'm glad to be here with all of you. All of you make this church better. So I am preaching to you today uh, from the story of Samson in the book of Judges. And my title uh, hopefully will pique your interest. It is simply R-rated people. R-rated people and the astonishing fact that God uses R-rated people. Now, before I, I go any further, smile at your neighbor and say, I didn't know the pastor was preaching about you today. But here I am. So let's get started. Everyone glad to be in the house of the Lord? You want to help me preach a little bit? The way you do that is you agree with me in your spirit. When you agree with me in your spirit, sometimes you say amen, sometimes you say oh my, sometimes you say preach to my husband, he needs it, and sometimes you just sit there and enjoy. We're glad you're here, and let's get started. So Samson is another one of the stories in the Old Testament where you, you have this sense of, oh my goodness, uh, I did not know all the details of the story. Um, I... I want to confess to you that a lot of times us religious types can take a story from the Bible and when, we're, when we tell it, particularly to our kids, we, let's be honest, we clean it up a good bit. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't mean to make anyone uncomfortable here, but um, the Bible uh, does not give us a whitewashed version of humanity. The Bible gives us all of the ugly. Why is that important? Because a, a faith, a belief system that wasn't honest about who God is wouldn't help anybody. And a belief system that wasn't honest about who humanity is wouldn't help anybody either. Uh, either one of them would be based upon a lie. And so if you're going to seek to look into the word of the Lord and have it speak spiritual life to you, in other words, you have spiritual understanding. It is as though your eyes are open, so to speak, and you learn. Uh, it won't help you at all to be deceived about who you are. <laughs> And it certainly won't help you to be deceived about who God is. And the Bible uh, takes these stories, and it is very, very honest, painfully honest about who we are and about who, who God is. And uh, so the more religious we are, let's, let's have confession moment here for a moment. The more religious we are, the more we take R-rated stories and make them PG. And, <laughs> and we're not uh, against this. Um, our goal is not to... Uh, celebrate the truth about humanity. Our goal, however, is to be honest about the truth 
in humanity. And so when we say uh, R-rated, what do we mean? Well, in our language, it basically means there's going to be sex and violence, sex and violence. And uh, that's not something any of us are particularly proud about in the human story. It's not like um, any of us think, oh, that's fine, this is fine, the other's fine. All of us, uh, all of us are aware of the dark corners of the human condition. And uh, so when I say uh, R-rated people, and when I take it further and I say God uses uh, R-rated people to teach us the truth about ourselves and the truth about God, I'm not doing a disservice to the Bible. I'm not doing a disservice to God. I am simply accurately representing the word of the Lord. Um, I want to, first of all, say as a Bible student, it is quite, uh, it's quite off-putting. It's, it's, it's quite, maybe not disturbing, but um, it's, it's, it's something similar to that. <laughs> when you go to these, 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 these Bible stories and you, you, you look at them, I'm not talking about as a pastor or as a parent. As a pastor and as a parent, I have this, this tendency to kind of, you know, clean it up a little bit because after all, it's a mixed audience of different ages, um, different uh, conditions, different stages of life. And so I, uh, let's be honest, uh, y'all can talk bad about me later. I, I kind of clean it up a little bit. Um, the, Bible, the Bible is not afraid to be honest about the nature of humanity's sin. And so oftentimes as a preacher uh, or as a parent, I will, I'll take a story and say take Samson, since we're talking about Samson, and I, I, I kind of tell a story of a super strong dude who uh, has God's power on him and he protects God's people and there's some amazing stories and I might tell about the time where he's trapped by the Philistine army and all he has uh, in the desert, he's not prepared for war and he looks around and there's a dead, a dead carcass nearby and he runs over there and it turns out to be a, a, a carcass of a donkey and he, uh, he, he reaches down and he, gra- he gets the jawbone of it. Uh, well, a jawbone of a donkey is not huge. Um, it, it's it's a, a kind of a smallish club and uh, you could use it that way, but somehow he uses it, and in his hand, as a striking weapon, as a stabbing weapon, uh, he he smites this this the, the whole of this army, uh, many many perhaps a thousand uh, of the enemy that he he actually uses, and it's not his ability. It's not that he's a super athlete. It's that he has this manifestation of God's power upon him. So I tell the story that way, and then you know if you're going to tell Samson's story. If you want to learn from it, you have to tell Delilah's story. And, uh, you know, here you have this powerful guy, and he falls for the wrong girl. And uh, <laughs> Pretty soon, we're telling a story about uh, Samson, and we're really cleaning it up. We're not kind of, you know, telling about all, or we're waiting at least till the kids are older. And, you know, uh, if we're not careful, uh, let's be honest, uh, the more prissified religious we are... <laughs> Um, and that's not all bad. I'm a parent. I have little people. I get it. Um, but we, we kind of clean it up, and by the time we, uh, we tell the story, we've kind of turned Samson into a caricature or a type of cartoon character uh, of who he was and kind of like superhero, and uh, that's not really the story of Samson. He was a real person. He was a flawed person. He was a complex individual. He had anointing on him, and he had moral failing. And in his life, lessons emerge, not just lessons of a mythic kind of quality, not just a cultural inheritance 
kind of story like we tell of the founding of our country or our cultural inheritance. That's not, that's not what it is. It's a spiritual story. Somebody say a spiritual story. And it's not an accidental spiritual story. It is intentionally given to teach us something about the nature of our hearts and the nature of God's heart. And so in the word of the Lord, we find these, uh, how shall we say this, R-rated people that are going to teach us the story of hope and grace. A couple of weeks ago, I, I told you, I gave a list of some of the famous characters of the Bible and some of their notable flaws, and um, you will remember that. Well, well, here's another one. It just gives you more of the same. Uh, you know, Abraham had trust issues, and Moses couldn't control his temper, and <laughs> Jeremiah seemed to be depressed a lot, and uh, Peter uh, suffered from perpetual foot-in-mouth disease, and <laughs> David turned out to be an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. That's just one of the stories about David, and um, <laughs> Samson uh, joins this a notable list of R-rated um, people who has, have tremendous flaws and yet were told the story for a spiritual purpose and reason. And as a Bible student, not a pastor or as a parent, as a Bible student, I go back to the story and I scratch my head and I'm like, interesting, interesting, so much there. Lord, help me to see and help me to understand because before I can share something, I have to see. The last thing we need is another religious blind person leading the religious blind. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, we must try to go and humble ourselves to the Word of God and seek, seek to know it. So let's talk about Samson. Uh, Samson comes from a, the story of Samson comes from a book of defeat. Now, uh, Joshua is largely a book of victory. Samson is from the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is largely a book of defeats. Uh, and this is important because if you and I had edited the Bible, we might have left out the book of defeats and just, and just left the good stories in there. But um, lucky for us, uh, the Lord didn't trust us with that. And he gave us the whole enchilada. He gives us Joshua, a book of victories, but he also gives us Judges, a book of struggle and defeat. And one of the stories of this book seemingly filled with sad characters and sad stories is the story of Samson. How did Samson come to be? Well, first, let's talk about the nation, and then we'll talk about his parents. The, the nation of Israel had successfully taken the promised land. They had taken it according to God's authority and according, according to God's direction. Now, why were they there, and why had they chosen it? Because their father Abraham had walked the length and the breadth of the land and had chosen it, and God said, everywhere you take, put your foot, I will give it to you. But because of Egyptian slavery, the house of Israel, rather than being where God wanted them to be, where were they? They were slaves and bound in Egypt, and God showed up and delivered them. God shows up, he gives them deliverance, he takes them out of Egypt, and then once they are out of Egypt, then they are given a moment, a moment of divine visitation. God is on top of the mountain. He meets with Moses, and out of that meeting comes what we think of as law, the law of Moses, or let's think of it this way. God says, this is the way you should live your life. I made you intentionally. I chose you specifically. This is a way you honor who you are and who I am. This is how you live your life, do you see? 
A lot of times we misunderstand the story of Exodus, and, and in our minds we end up with a kind, of, uh, a kind of flawed theology that goes like this. Now, we won't say this, but oftentimes we live this way, and this is how our flawed theological story goes. Uh, first of all, the house of Israel is in bondage, and they're slaves. Somebody say they're slaves. They're locked up in Egypt, not getting out. It's not a good situation. And so in our flawed theology, then what happens? God shows up and he says, here's the law. And if you'll follow the law, then I will deliver you, deliver you from slavery. And that's, that's how we, we, without thinking, we, we, we kind of have a relationship with God where we're given law, and if we're good enough, if we deserve it, uh, then God takes us out of Egypt. But that's not how the story is told. I know many, many people, and maybe some folks watching this right now, if you'll allow me to pick on you, uh, this may apply to you. You think to yourself, I'll go back to church once I start doing better. I know I'm not doing good. Once I start getting my life organized, then I'll go back to church. I want you to know this is a very, very common story for people. I know I'm not doing right. Once I get sorted out, then I'm going to come back to church. But I want to tell you, you are the victim of a misunderstanding of divine order. You don't get good in order to get free. You get free so you can choose a life of worship. Now, you have to think about this. I understand this, and I, I want you to see. You don't get law and then get out of Egypt. You get out of Egypt, you're delivered. God gives you a path of living, a way of knowing, an order. He got you out of Egypt, and now he's getting you on this way so he can get Egypt out of you. Do you see? And so uh, here you have the people of Israel come back to the land of Canaan. They possess it, and uh, thus begins the struggle of spiritual identity. How are you going to live? Who are you going to be? And the house of Israel struggles with this because as long as they were desperate, it was easy for them to acknowledge God. But you see, God will not let you live a relationship where you must serve him. You have to choose to serve him. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And so they're no longer uh, desperate in the wilderness. They're long, no longer slaves in Egypt. Now, the challenge for them is to choose God as a way of being, a life, a path. I am the way, Jesus says. This is the way you walk. And so uh, here you see the whole house of Israel. They're tempted. Are they God's people? Somebody say yes. They're God's people. Do they have covenant? Somebody say yes. Does God with them? Somebody say yes. What's the problem? The problem is they have this little problem (laughs) of idolatry where they cannot believe that God is enough. And so what they want to do is they want to have whatever God can give them, but then they want to add the other gods and goddesses that are around them, which are, if you understand the history of the Holy Land, these are fertility uh, worship uh, rites and cults. They're surrounded by these fertility cults, and this is what is so tempting to Israel. Uh, Yes, they think uh, they have Yahweh, but they want to, they don't want to see him as enough. Now, this isn't a new problem. This is an ongoing problem. Many of us want to be religious, but we don't really think that's enough. And so we look other sources for happiness. I want you to know, call it what you want to call it. It's spiritual idolatry. God is enough for me and God is enough for you. 
And so that's the struggle in the house of Israel. It's not that they, uh, um, they, they don't have this religious inheritance from, you know, Moses and their history. Yeah, they do. But uh, it's really hard for them to say, we're going to see this as enough. And they start adding all these uh, other systems of worship, these fertility cults, and that is the problem. And so what's the result of that? Well, God's not going to be a part-time deity in your life. God's not going to compete, uh, hope that you'll give him a little bit of time after you've got done with everything else in your life. What does he do? He either goes silent or he goes away. You see? And so this is the challenge for all of us. And oftentimes we wonder, we come in the house of the Lord, we feel so far from God. I'm telling you, God's not the one who, who, who has left you. You've drifted away from God, do you see? And so uh, this is the reality of the house of Israel. Well, other tr- nations and the peoples are around them. And so here enter into the stories of the Philistines. The Philistines um, are a merchant people, if we understand correctly. And there's more information on, on this in your notes if you want to download them. But uh, they were a seafarer people who, as a result, had better technology than the agrarian society of Israel. They were farmers and they were herdsmen. And so they aren't getting the best ideas from everywhere. They're very kind of static there. And here comes the Philistines. They have the best technology. They have selling technology. They have steel. They have all of these advantages. They come in. Well, what do they do? Well, they win. That's what you do when you have superior technology. Um, You win. What do they do? They take the coastal cities. Uh, They take the strong, fortified hilltop top cities, and they leave the agrarian areas to the Israelites, and the Israelites farm while the Philistines sit in these hilltop cities and these port cities, and then they go out and force, and they steal all of the crops, all of the agrarian uh, field work of the house of Israel, and they leave the house of Israel to either starve or to barely make it, and that's exactly what hell wants to do to every one of us. He wants to steal, hell, uh, hell, the devil wants to to steal and kill, that's the work of hell, and leave you with just enough to be there for them to take what you get next. It is a predatory relationship. And so the Lord is, uh, sees the plight of his people, and uh, he, in different times, he raises up judges, and each one of these judges is a Bible study in itself. Maybe sometime we'll do a series on the judges, but um, each one of them is profound, and if you take each one of them seriously and don't just read it as a type of theological cartoon story, there is profound lessons in every one of these stories. That's how we get to Samson. The people of Israel have been oppressed for years. I mean, I'm talking like 40 years, and then finally God decides he's going to raise up someone who frees them from this oppression, and that's how we get to Samson. But there's more to the story. So Samson, he doesn't just, you know, pop out of a blue sky. Um, His mother is in herself a teaching example. What do I mean by that? It is another story of a barren woman. Have you ever noticed, if you are, if you spend any time in the scripture, have you ever noticed how many stories are about barren women? Why is that lesson so important? Because that is the picture of all of us spiritually. We are all of us without the power of God. We are spiritually barren. And if you don't understand that, then you'll never seriously seek God for the Holy Spirit work in your life. You'll think you're enough. You'll think your plan for your life is enough. But once you have a sense that I am spiritually empty, I am truly spiritually barren, then you realize uh, you need new life. 
All right, so let's move along. Here is the mother of Samson, and an angel of the Lord appears to her, tells her she's going to have a son, and uh, this freaks her out. She goes and tells her husband. Her husband's name's Manoah. Manoah seems to have a good bit more religious understanding, and if you take time to read the story, which I encourage all of you to do, um, he has a little bit more spiritual understanding, but there's a problem. God won't speak to him. This, too, is not accidental. This is a story of the house of Israel. The people who should know cannot see. That's why it's fishermen following Jesus, not scribes, lawyers, priests, or Pharisees, but fishermen. Because those who should see, they cannot see. It's actually the people who sit in darkness upon whom a great light is shown. Uh, something profound happens when uh, we try to compartmentalize God and we're going to tell him what he can and cannot do. Do you see? It's almost as though God says, okay, whatever you think, sure, sure, sure. And then he just moves on to somebody who won't argue with him. What is the complexity in your life? Let me just take a moment here and say, what are you facing that is giving you fits, that's keeping you up at night? Uh, are you looking at it with the faith of a child, or are you trying to tell God what he should do? There is something spiritually powerful when we take our hands off of the lever seeking to control God, and we surrender to God, and we say, I don't know how you're going to do this, and I'm good with whatever you decide, but I believe you are working on my behalf. Let me say that to somebody here today, right now. You come to church today, you're watching online, I want to tell you uh, God is working on your behalf. You can't even see how God is working in your life. Quit telling him on what he ought to do and start praising him for what he's already done, what he promised to do, and what he will continue to deliver in your life. Praise God, somebody. And so uh, the angel of the Lord speaks to uh, Samson's mother and uh, she runs to her husband. He's the religious expert in the family and the angel won't talk to him. Uh, and finally, he, he, the second meeting, he, he makes a point of it and he's really kind of pushing this, you know, you gotta tell me what's going on. And finally, the angel just says to him, look, my name is too wonderful for you. I, I got no time for you. Would you just sit over there and um, pretend to be a statue? God will not speak to Manoah. Uh, it's only to the promise, the promises given to the barren woman and she she has a son, but there's something unique about this son. His life is to be an eternal Nazarite vow. Why does this matter? I, I want to take a moment here um, because I, I, think, I think this is helpful. Um, Nazarite vow was never intended to be eternal it, it, or, or, or the, for a whole life. It was always a temporary vow that a person took to bring a concentration, a concentrated focus upon uh, their relationship with God, who God was, and how they were to be a minister unto the Lord. The Nazarite vow involved several things, uh, things like they would drink no strong drink during the time of their vow, and also they would dedicate their life wholly to, to the Lord as signified by the men uh, would not cut their hair and the women would cut their hair. Uh, this is a part of what they believe, and I should explain. The ancient world believed that hair was part of the human reproductive system. Uh, you don't have to take my opinion for that. You you can read history. Uh, you can uh, think of the most famous uh, ancient doctor, uh, Hippocrates, from whom modern doctors take the Hippocratic Oath, which is what? First, do, do no harm. Uh, and uh, you can read their words. And they believed that the human hair was hollow and it was part of uh, human fertility. There are parts of the world that still believe this, and that's why uh, in much of the East, 
uh, particularly the Islamic East, when a, a girl has her first cycle, um, uh, she has to cover her hair. Before then, she doesn't. They, they deeply believed this. Um, and so when a, a man would have long hair, it was as though uh, he was saying, I, I forego having a family. I forego having a family in order to wholly dedicate myself to you because uh, hair's hollow, created a vacuum. It would stop his ability uh, to father children. The woman would cut her hair because they believed it's hollow. The Bible didn't teach them this. This is their beliefs. And so the symbol cup begins to take on this meaning, you see. And so that's how you get to this interesting situation where a person for a time, they would make a Nazarite vow unto the Lord. Uh, the woman could not get make the vow without permission of her husband because she was uh, denying children according to what they believed to their to her husband, and um, this is how this whole story comes up. So you have a young man who, rather than having a temporary vow to the Lord, he lives it for the whole of his life. He drinks no strong drink, and his hair is very, very long. The hair is symbolic of his covenant to the Lord, but there's a problem, and it's a big problem. The question is not, is Samson strong? Samson is strong. How is he strong? Through the power of the Spirit of the Lord that would come upon on him. None of us are strong by ourselves. All of us need the power of God in our life. Can I have a better amen than that? Yes. Elbow your neighbor and say, I, that really applies to me. I, I, need, I need the strength of the Lord in my life. Do you see? Uh, and, so, and so the spirit of the Lord would come on him. He would become super strong, super, super strong. And when he was in that state, he was able to do tremendous things. The question is not, could he have a sign of co co covenant under the Lord? He has a sign of covenant under the Lord. Everybody can see he is a Nazarite. He would have hair all the way down his back. And uh, everyone knows he doesn't drink. They can see this, but there's a problem. Uh, this sign of the covenant is flawed. Why is it flawed? Because he cannot avoid uh, temptation. He cannot be pure. He cannot avoid the women of the Philistines. And this is the trouble that is in his life. He is all strength and no wisdom, do you see? All strength and no wisdom. Uh, he has a blessed condition. He has good parents. They care for him. Uh, he has anointing. He has covenant. But he is deeply flawed because he can't stay away from the bad girls. And so uh, I want you to see that you have a flawed character. Does he have covenant? Yes. Does he have a strength? Yes, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. What's the problem? He struggles with being a true to his covenant morally. Now, he, in this moment, remember, is an example of all the house of Israel. What is their problem? Is the problem they're not the people of God? No, that's not their problem. Is their problem that they don't have power when they are when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them? No, they are God's people. They've done tremendous things. Is the problem they don't have an outward sign? of some type of a uh, uniqueness under the Lord? No, they, they are definitely the people of the Lord. They, what's the problem? The problem is they cannot be true to the calling and true to the covenant. They have a morality problem. And just as uh, Samson cannot stay away from the temptresses of Philistine, so Israel cannot stay away from all of the fertility cults and idols that surround them. This is the spiritual lesson you have a R-rated person, and they've been called to a better life. 
than they're living. What will you do, God, with this person? Is it simply over? Do you just write them off? What do you do with the sinner? What do you do with the broken person? This is the story of Samson. And this problem will uh, resonate in not just in his life, but in the nations around them as he is known as being God's man, as he is known as being powerfully anointed. They know who he is, but he cannot stay true. He can have a ceremonial commitment, but he cannot keep the lusts of his soul under control. And so, as much as I hate to say it, like so many stories about real people, there is a certain ugliness to the story. Samson cannot stop betraying his consecration. He cannot stop betraying his consecration. And yet, in the ugliness, there is another story that is told, and this is what I want to share with you. In the middle of the ugliness, there is a love story that is told. Because God always reveals himself, not through uh, power, but through love. God always manifests his heart. And if we uh, miss the love story that is in the ugliness of the human condition, then we will always have a religion of duty and obligation, but we will have missed the worship that is at the heart of our relationship with God. And you need to be a worshiper. That's what God has designed you to do. Your testimony will not be effective as duty. It will be effective as worship. Can I have a better amen than that? Your joy will be full when you learn to be a worshiper, but as long as you try to in some way be good enough, you're going to have a frustration in your journey with God. Once you learn to be a worshiper, you'll have to see that in the middle of God's purity and our sin, there is a love story that is told, and God's love for Israel keeps this cycle of going over and over. Let me show you that in the life of Samson. So uh, the story of Samson is the story of his relationship with three women. None of them are the women he's supposed to have. None of them represents who God would have uh, yoked him with. All of them represents that which he is fascinated by. And like Israel, he wants to have uh, this type of relationship with God where, yes, kind of, sort of, but in the meantime, I'm chasing all of these things that catch my fancy. And so three women in the life of Samson. The first one is his first failed marriage to the girl at Timna. Timna. And uh, the story there is kind of uh, almost, there's a a silliness to it that goes like this. Samson uh, really likes her. He works out, you know, this whole thing and um, they get engaged. There's a wedding party and Samson, man, Samson is on top of the world. Everybody loves to be dominant. Everybody loves to be the strongest guy at the meet, uh, prettiest girl at the dance, and uh, that's Samson. He is somebody else. He comes, and he's so secure in himself that he gives all the wedding party this riddle, and um, the riddle is linked to the story of the lion. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and uh, Samson slew the lion, and the riddle goes. I won't get into all of that for time's sake, but he gives a riddle to the the, the wedding party, and they, they decide that they really need to bring him down. They... Um, and they enlist the girl he's marrying in their plot to bring Samson down. You see, uh, the world will always choose its own values even when it says it loves you. Yeah. 
And so here you have uh, Tina, uh, and she, she uh, goes to Samson, and she says, if you loved me, you would tear, tell me the riddle. And uh, this goes on and on. Finally, he tells her, and uh, the man is, you know, all like all rated stories. It's not just, not just sex. There's plenty of violence, too. And so uh, the end of this is that uh, here you have Samson, and he killing people left and right and fighting his way out of town. And that's the end of the first failed relationship. What's the second woman? Well, this is a much shorter story. This is the prostitute in Gaza. I warned you. I told you I'm preaching about R-rated people. Forgive me. You write a Bible, I'll maybe preach out of your Bible. Not, but until then, I'm preaching out of this one. And so... <laughs> And, and, and so here you have the prostitute at Gaza, and what happens here? Um, same, same type of a uh, situation. Um, she traps him, snares him. They try to lock him up, but it's hard to lock up somebody that can have the Spirit of the Lord come upon them. <laughs> You've been locked up. You need to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. you in bondage. You need to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. Because they got you locked up. The Spirit of the Lord come upon you. You know what he does? He goes to the gates of the city and says, hold my beer. That's not what he said, but since it was R-rated, I thought that would be funny, and some of you laughed. But he gets to the gates of the city, and he says, you suckers, watch this, and he picks up the gates of the city and walks off with them. Now, you want to talk about a demonstration of strength. And they, they're like, he's like, you want to stop me? They're like, no, we're good. We're good. Just that way. And Samson carries off. Uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, and yes, he's doing what Israel did. The lessons in the story. He has this covenant, but he can't stop chasing the world. That is the story. That is the challenge. And if we don't tell the story, we're either lying about who God is or we're lying about who we are. He wants to have this relationship. He wants to have it. Yeah, but man, the girls in Gaza are like nice. Better be careful. Moving along. <laughs> and so here you have this tension within him. And then there's the third, the third woman. Um, and her name is, wait for it, Delilah. So... Uh, in Delilah, Samson seems to meet his match, and there's something more to the story here. Samson falls for Delilah in a way he didn't fall for the other two. How do I know that? Uh, he fell for her so hard that even when he caught her trying to trap him, he could not leave. She said, tell me the secret to your strength. He makes up something, seven cords dipped in vinegar and pickle juice and sprinkled with whipped cream and then dance three times, stand on one of your foot. And he's like, mm -mm -mm. and so she's out here doing everything just right, doesn't it? And he knows she's trying to trap him. He knows it. He knows she's not to be trusted and he can't get over her. Do you see? If you want to learn the story of God's love for humanity, you have to see the love story. It's not just trickery. It's not just desire. There is a love story in it. And Samson so loves Delilah that he, in some profound way, even when he knows she's treacherous, even when he knows she's trying to get him, he cannot 
stay away. Samson cannot be beaten by strength, but Samson is a sucker for love. Let me just leave that thought hanging here. Um, One of the unique things about God is God solves problems unlike the way you and I solves problems. When we go to solve a problem, you notice we always will have some type of exterior control that comes into the mess, brings order, not, not, not unlike a good parent, and says less of this, more of that. We have all of these outside top-down solutions for the problem of humanity. Uh, God's solution is much more divine than that. God will take the problem itself and let the answer be hidden in the problem. As if to testify that your ways are down here, but my ways are up here. This is not just a story about Samson. It's also a story of how we have hope in the church house today. Because had the princes and principalities of this world known who Jesus is, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because the problem, uh, the answer was actually in the problem. Just no one could see it. Let me say to anyone here today living through a difficult circumstance, God is already working in your problem. And when God decides to bring an answer, you're going to be shocked at what God can do. Because God can heal to the uttermost, not just heal. God can take... As the Old Testament gives us this image of a lamb torn by wolves and the only thing left is just a few gnawed limbs and a piece of an ear. Yes, it's a harsh story. It's an ugly story. Surely God can't do anything with that. But in the word of God, you learn that's all God needs. It's actually more than that. God stands his man in front of an army that has long ago been defeated. In the prophetic imagery, he shows him an army and he said, can these bones live? And the the prophet, he knows enough not to tell God what God can and God can't do. Some of us haven't got to that point yet. We're still in the business of telling God, well, if you don't do it this way, it's not real. And if it doesn't happen that way, that's not the real Holy Ghost. We're judging God nonstop. The prophet says, oh, Lord, you know, let's go with this. If you say the army can live, we're going to have an army. And the wind begins to blow after the prophet preaches to the bones. And what happens? The bones begin to gather and God puts sinew on the bones and flesh on the sinew. And and before this prophet stands a mighty army, I'm here to tell you, the answer is not somewhere hid from you. God has already put the answer in the middle of your problem. You just need to see the hand of God working. So Delilah, she's a match for Samson, and Samson cannot be defeated by strength, but he is defeated by love, and God reveals his heart in this reality because the truth is this is going to, in some way, the story of Samson is going to foreshadow. It is going to prophetically and poetically foreshadow uh, who God is because in this story... We like to think of ourselves as perhaps we are Samson at this moment. Uh, but let me show you some things that may surprise you. Remember uh, the depth of God's stories. They're never just on one level. There's always levels of understanding to them. It's always a type of layer cake of spiritual insight and understanding. Uh, there seems to be no character in the Bible further from Jesus than Samson. In fact, Samson seems to be an opposite of Jesus. Uh, it seems as though, whereas Jesus is a man of wisdom 
and authority, and uh, Samson is a man of strength and violence. Uh, that uh, is in many ways opposites, particularly when you think about the wisdom in which they use their strength, power, and authority. Few people in the Bible seem more opposite of Jesus than Samson, but let me point out a few similarities in a way to show you how God uses R-rated people to tell his story. Both Samson and Jesus are prophesied to be deliverers of Israel. Both of them are birthed from uh, prophetically significant uh, conditions. Um, uh, Samson is birthed from barrenness, and Jesus is birthed from purity or virginity. They are opposites, and yet they are both of them in their own way bringing a divine justice, do you see? And they both of them exemplify Israel, covenant people in mission and in calling. Both of them are moved upon by the power of the Spirit of God and do the work of the Lord. Both of them are unconquered by the violence of their enemies. Both of them become victims of their enemies because of love. Both are trying to free God's covenant people and both of them will die humiliated with their hands spread before those who hate them. Who would have thought that there could be so much similarity between characters so different in their moral condition? I want to remind you that God chose all of us. He did not choose us and take us by strength, but he humbled himself to love. Samson, don't you know that Delilah is trying to trick you? Yes. Why don't you just stay away, Samson? Why don't you dump that woman? She's not to be trusted. She's no good. Why don't you just dump her? I, I just, I can't get away. I can't, I can't, I can't get away. I almost entitled this message today, Can't Get Over You, because Samson, he can't be defeated by strength, but good Lord, he's a sucker for love, and he keeps coming back to Delilah, even when he catches Delilah tricking him, even when he catches Delilah lying to him, even when he knows that nothing good is going to come from this. He cannot stay away. And finally, he is trapped and he is placed in chains and he is taken away. Just for a moment, and I'm almost done, musicians, you can begin to come. Just for a moment, I would like to change your perception of this story and I would like you to think of it differently. And my, my goal in doing this is to, first of all, show how God uses real people, flawed, broken, R-rated people. And out of that brokenness, a love story is told. But secondly, I want you to perceive the love of God for each one of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I, I want to try to show you this, this moment. It may be that in this story, uh, we're not simply Samson challenged. Remember, we learn through spiritual symbols like this. And uh, we're not just challenged to be consecrated to God and yet committed morally uh, and ethically to the kingdom and the heart of God. Uh, you can see it that way, yes. But all God's lessons of teaching are deep and wide. And we learn from them as far as we can go in 
Uh, it may not be that we're Samson, say. It, uh, maybe we're the children of Israel in the story, oppressed and needing deliverance, and we need a judge to come and uh, save us. Uh, here's a character you've never thought about. Maybe in the story, you're Delilah. Hmm, how about them apples? I should preach this at a ladies' conference and just entitle it, Call Me, Call You Delilah. Let's call you Delilah. So imagine Delilah as she watches Samson powerless for the first time. You know how you get a type for somebody? If somebody who never cries suddenly cries, it's shocking. Why? Because you had them modeled in your head and you're running this model of them. If someone acts out of character, and here's Delilah, and she watches as this man who has never been bound is bound, and she's the one who bound him. This man who was never weak is suddenly weak, and she's the one who took his strength. And she knows that even when he caught her trying to trick him, he couldn't stop loving her. Like Adam in the garden, who eats of the apple not deceived, as if to say, I would rather die than live without her. So Samson stands before Delilah. I know you're tricking me. I know you are trying to betray me, but I can't get over you. And Delilah watches as he is dragged out of the house. A strong man brought low. A powerful man made weak. Love will always force you to lay down your weapons and open your balled up fists. Love will enforce, will it require you to quit demanding your way. Love will make you ask rather than demand. You see, the day will come when Jesus is betrayed into the hands of sinners. They've come to take him away and Peter draws a sword in a quite pathetical, pathetical, new word for the day, a quite pathetic display of his lack of fighting ability. And he tries to attack one of the temple guards. And um, that's one of the servants who's with the temple guards. And of course, he's not very good at this. He misses and he doesn't get the guy's head. It, uh, it kind of glances off his head and cuts his ear off. And, uh, the, Lord, the Lord stops all of it. Don't do this, Peter. This is silly. Uh, you live with that. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna die by that which you've lived by. Don't, don't live by that, Peter. And, 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 and Jesus makes a statement that, that I think is stunning. He says, look, don't you know? Watch this, guys. Watch this. Don't you know I could pray and my Father would send 10,000 angels? Do you think you trapped me in this love story? Do you think I'm forced to be here? Don't you see like a lamb led to the slaughter? I'm not fighting for myself. I knew you were trying to trick me. I knew they were going to kill me. I knew before I came to Jerusalem they were going to hang me on a tree. I'm not here by accident. Further, brother Peter, one of these angels in one night brought the Egyptian empire to its knees. What do you think 10,000 of them can do? You think I'm here because I have to be? I choose this and I choose you. This is the love story of God. Delilah watches 
Samson taken out. And she must ask herself, will anybody ever love me that much again? Where they will give up everything because they can't get over me. The answer is no, Delilah. You're never going to find that kind of pure love again. There's plenty of cynical love out there. There's plenty of you scratch my back, I scratch your back. There's plenty of you're good to me, I'm good to you. But you want to find love like that? That's divine love. I know what you're doing to me, and I love you, and I can't stay away. This is the story of Calvary, where we realize, watch this, to be a Christian is in some strange way to be a repentant Delilah where we realize no one's ever going to love us like that. No one's ever going to love us like that. Let me tell you what happens to the believer who comes to an altar. They, they're exposed to a love that they're never going to find anywhere else. No one's ever going to love you like God loves you. No one's ever going to put up with your mess like God puts up with your mess. He knew before he died for you the mess you would make. He was not surprised. He knew the flaws you would have. He knew the addictions you would fight. He knew before. He wasn't like your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife, your husband. Now, they didn't know how crazy you were. God helped them. They had to find out the hard way. But God knew. And God says, I give you all of me. That love is so profound it should change something in your heart. Stand with me all across the house. Was there a moment was there a moment where Delilah thought to herself I wish rather than being used by the system I'm a part of why didn't I just love him back I'm never going to find that kind of love again you see to be a repentant Delilah is to understand the regret of your own flaws and understand your own unworthiness in the face of that kind of love and so I want to say this to all of you, and then we're going to have some prayer time together. I want to say this to all of you. God loves you so much that even though you're currently in a life of imperfectness, if you could find some time in your day to talk to him, he would meet with you in that prayer place. God so loves you so much. He's such a, a sucker for you. <laughs> That's human speaking. I don't mean a disrespectful of God, but he's so, he loves you so much. We refer to it as the love of a parent of a child, and, and, and that's, that's true, and it matters, and um, it, is a it, it does teach us a lot. Uh, like, for example, I, I heard recently someone say that uh, no parent is happier than their most unhappy child. In other words, the joy of the parent is limited by the, the happiness of the child, and you can't get beyond that. Yes, that teaches us something about God, but uh, let me remind you of this. Um, God, God, God is there for the long haul. Uh, when he made a covenant with Abraham, he didn't ask Abraham to pass between uh, the, 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 the carcass of sacrifice, signifying that Abraham would bear the judgment of Abraham's sin. God passed through the carcass of judgment twice, saying, I'll pay my debt and your debt too. Yes. 
Now, I know that's an Old Testament story. If you haven't heard that, maybe we can set you up with a Bible study. We can work something out. I'll preach that story another time. But this is the story of life-changing love, where like Delilah, watching a man taken out in weakness, thinking to herself, no one's ever going to love me like that again. The believer comes to God and recognizes God chose you. God loves you. In spite of your imperfection, God wraps his arms around you. In spite of your messed up conditions and your bad habits, God meets with you. Pray with me right now, Lord Jesus. We stand before you. We acknowledge the grandeur of your love. There, there's no words, Lord. I, I, I'm a, I do, I, I've done my best to try to give some insight into your love, and I, I feel like I am just the smallest dust in a storm. I cannot begin to tell anything about your love. It is overwhelming. It soars beyond us. It, it, it elevates our spirit and breaks our heart all the same time. And that broken heart leaves room for your love to flow into us. God, help us all to turn our hearts towards you. Uh, from those who have been serving God many years to the person who has really kind of come to grips with faith in life, we turn our hearts toward you because there is no love like your love. There's no manifestation of love like your work for us at Calvary. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for uh, a friend. So you laid your life down for us, oh God. I pray for every individual here today, wherever we're starting, the only step that matters is our next step. I pray that every individual here would have the courage to take a next step of faith with you. Lord, if it's been a while since we have repented, then we as a house, as individuals, we, we repent of our sins, cleanse us, wash us of all the iniquity, all of the lustfulness, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way, but Lord, you, you have paid the debt for us and we're humbled by the love you've shown. We're overwhelmed by a love like we've never experienced anywhere else. And here we are today. Here we are today to say we've been changed by that kind of love. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you help us find the path forward? In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If I've been preaching to you, I'd like to pray for you. If your spirits respond to this right now, just raise your hand wherever you are. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. You're turning your heart toward God today. You're turning away from the ways of the flesh. God bless all of you. Thank, thank, thank you for, for humbling yourself right now in the presence of the Lord. Lord, I'm praying for every individual who had enough uh, spiritual humbleness to, to make this statement before you, oh God, to say, I've got to turn towards you. I've, I've got to make my way uh, God's way. I pray you would lead them. I pray you would guide them. Don't let them be the victim of, of simple distraction in their life. Lord, don't let the, the rush of their life force them in some way to miss the power of your presence and anointing upon them, oh God. Help us to be awake to the fact that you're working in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple things are going to happen right now. Uh, first of all, uh, if you would like to have prayer, if you, if you want to step out where you are and come down to the front, uh, some of our pastors will be down here and they will pray with you as you come uh, forward. If you want to stay where you are, you're welcome to stay where you are. I only ask one thing, the need in your life, right where you're standing, would you make it specific to the Lord? I don't mean just Lord bless somebody somewhere. Vague prayers require no faith. I want you to have a specific prayer. God help this here, this person. I'd like you to pray that prayer right where you're standing. And, and, and while that's happening, our, our worship team is going to lead us deeper into worship. And 
there won't be another dismissal so just whenever you need to slip out you can go but I want to encourage you to take some moment before you rush back into your life to stand in this house to stand basking in the presence of God and let his spirit settle upon you and let the, uh, the presence of God feel you don't just rush away to your life but just stand right here in the presence of God because he is in this house you can be healed right where you're standing you can repent of your sins right where you're standing you can receive the gift of the spirit thank you for listening to first church charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the charlotte north carolina area come worship with us at 4929 north sharon amity road for information about service times church ministries and so much more visit us online at firstchurchclt.com if you would like to help support our efforts please text give to 704-445-5353 we pray god's richest blessings to you come worship with us Thank you.